Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. Any comprehensive package for police reform needs to include expanded mental health services for officers. Police work can be extremely stressful. They respond to life or death calls for themselves or others every day. Just in the past month or so, multiple CPD officers have been shot and wounded on duty. And a 2017 U.S. Department of Justice review found that suicide is a major issue for the Chicago Police Department. It found that CPD officer suicide, the rate, is 60% higher than the national average. 60%. Yesterday, Mary Lori Lightfoot's police reform initiatives announced two new pilot programs for helping officers and their mental health. But will it be enough? Alexa James is the executive director of the National Alliance on Mental Illness Chicago, NAMI. She served on Mayor Rahm Emanuel's Police Accountability Task Force. Hi, Alexa. Justin, it's so nice to talk to you again. We're also joined by Sandy Jo MacArthur. She's a retired assistant chief for the LAPD and national expert in officer mental health. She's an advisor to the University of Chicago Crime Lab, one of the city's leading partners in the development of this new initiative. Sandy Jo, welcome to the program. Thank you, Justin. Good to be with you. Sandy Joe, let me start with you. You've been working with the University of Chicago for three years now, focusing on officer wellness and more. Explain to a listener how important these support efforts are. The support efforts are incredibly important to not just uh, Chicago Police Department, but police departments across the country. The stress level and trauma exposure that officers traditionally have experienced um, seems to be actually increasing Currently, and I think COVID has something to do with that as well, there's a lot of different stressors, stressors that are added. Mm-hmm. But officers do experience trauma at a much higher rate than the general population. And one of the things people don't think about is officers are uh, as human as you and I, who are no longer, I'm no longer a police officer. So we are susceptible to the same types of reactions to trauma exposure. So for an officer to do their job well, and to do it to the best of their ability with a clear mind and the ability to um, really problem-solve and make good decisions, they have to have good mental health. So from my perspective, this is critically important for CPD as well as officers across the country. Alexa, you know, as as we just heard from Sandy Joe, officers are just generally, they're at a higher risk for mental health challenges. When we talk about this specific uh, issue that, that the task force came together on, what are you trying to do to help? I know what the police department is trying to do is is put together a comprehensive program to increase officer wellness. But frankly, we're starting at a deficit here, right? Because this isn't like new to, to the Chicago Police Department. Nationally, there hasn't been really investment in officer wellness until recently. This is a kind of a paradigm shift. So adding in some data-driven information on how you can help to identify folks who are experiencing high levels of trauma or distress is critically important. But we also have to think about what are we doing when we are first interacting with law enforcement? How are we onboarding them into this culture? Is there opportunity to change culture, to encourage wellness seeking, and then make sure that when it is provided and if it is provided, that it's safe to do so? So, I mean, I think that there's an entire restructuring that needs to take place. When you talk about that and and you see these stats and the stat that I play or I just read about 60 percent higher than other police departments. 
What's your takeaway? Uh, uh, well, you know what's sad, Justin? When that came out, the Department of Justice report, I had so many officers, so many people who have been working in peer support and supporting other people say, that's not even correct, that that's a low ball. They thought it was higher. Yeah, they thought it was higher. Uh, I don't know if it took into account retired officers, no. et cetera. So suicide is the most tragic outcome of hopelessness. And I think there's a tremendous amount of hopelessness. And my fear as a mental health advocate is that we are, not my fear, we know we are going to see an increase of suicide generally because of everything that is going on in our world. And the police are the safety net right now, or they, they seem to be owning all of the disruption and we are putting a lot on their shoulders. So they are even more at risk for feeling burnt out, for behaving in impulsive, utilizing substances as a maladaptive coping strategy, right? All of these things because mm -hmm. their trauma is so compounded and there isn't enough space to mitigate that risk. Sandy Joe, the, the University of Chicago Crime Lab has been collaborating with the city to develop one of these new pilot programs, the Data-Driven Officer Support System. Tell me about that program. This program is unique in that it really focuses on the human interaction. It is a program that is based on specific data models that um, the University of Chicago um, folks have been putting together and working really hard. So it's, it's good because it does identify a person before hopefully a next adverse action might occur by using all this historic data. The key component of the officer support system is once somebody's been identified, so let's say I'm identified as somebody who is at high risk of having another adverse reaction, mm -hmm. uh, adverse action, right? The key piece of this is to get the supervisors involved and the existing support systems that the CPD has to offer. But the sad thing is there's so many really good support systems already available through CPD. That's the good news. The bad news is most people don't know they exist or they don't know how to access them or there is the stigma component or the fear yeah, that if right. they do access them, they may lose their job. Alexa, there is a stigma. I mean, police officers are, are almost trained to be tough, to, mm -hmm. uh, to be outside of, the, of, of mental health issues. They're the ones that are, that are coming in and, and they're the peacemakers. So how do you get past the stigma when when it's been so ingrained in the culture of law enforcement for so long that mental health isn't an issue for them. Yeah, I mean, right, totally. Because stigma surrounding mental illnesses um, and mental health issues is existing in every type of culture. It's changing, but it doesn't seem to be changing with the same pace with law enforcement. Now, I will say this, there, just to build on to what Sandy Joe said, that there are resources within the department. There is an EAP program. There's strong peer support. There, there's a lot going on, and they actually have seen increase in referrals. So what we, we are seeing is more people are help-seeking. I think that the issue is, and what, what you're asking, Justin, is we are building first responders to be completely void of mm -hmm. vulnerability and empathy. That was historically how we were able to create humans who could see such horror every day and continue to manage it. But that is just the cost of that is so huge. So I think instead of trying to teach people how to compartmentalize and how to laugh it off, which, you know, it's, it's important. Instead, let's teach people how to build resilience. They are not going to see less trauma. It is only getting more complicated to be the police. We are asking them to do more. They are seeing more horror. This climate is very difficult, et cetera. What we need to do, though, is make sure that they have space to decompress 
decompress from that. Working nonstop, not being able to sleep, having RDOs, regular days off canceled, foundationally, they are at a huge health deficit. So we have to we have to think about all of those things. And I know that it's not as easy as just like, you know, allowing people to take their furlough, but mm-hmm. we do have to think foundationally about what breeds health and wellness. And then make sure that when people do ask for help, that there is real backing up of the department, that what leadership says around encouraging wellness is actually true and that there is no fear about them losing yeah. their car, their FOID card or their job just because they're doing what we encourage every human to do. Right. Sandy Joe, as a former police officer and an assistant chief with the L.A. Police Department, does that ring true that the, the idea of, of stigma of police officers coming forward, but also uh, those in the management uh, need to also be trained in understanding uh, mental health? Absolutely. Uh, I think one of the interesting things for me is I look at stigma as stigma as w- just one of really three components that prevents officers or anybody within an organization to, to move forward and seek help. The fear component, which Alexa just touched on, is huge. Officers are afraid they're going to be taken out of the field. They're going to be lose. They potentially could lose their job, which 99.9% of the time is absolutely false. But that's the false narrative that's been circulating for years and years and years that we're up against. And then the third component is actually the pragmatic barriers, which is what we are trying to start to work with with CPD in launching a few of these new um, programs. Pragmatically, it's hard when you're working midnights and you have to get off and you have to go home and you have to today you have to help uh, with your getting your kids hooked up to Zoom for school and all sorts of different things. Pragmatically, there's barriers that just make it difficult to reach and get the help. So there's those three areas that definitely ring true. And as we start to move forward, um, one of the things I, I've been saying is resilience. Resiliency is important. Post-traumatic growth and how we do that is really important. And having an, what I call a holistic wraparound approach mm-hmm. to this, which means entrance level, which means um, management level and everything in between. Everybody needs to be trained. And quite honestly, CPD has seen this themselves. Management is not immune from distress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we've lost people at CPD in the management level. Just It's just devastating how right. many... Nobody is immune to this, and I think that's really yeah. important. So, yes, training at every level and support at every level is important. Yeah. Justin, can I just add something yeah. real, real quick? Um, NAMI was privileged to do supervisor training last year. We trained all 1,600 white shirts in the department on this exact idea, right? How do they lean in? How do they identify symptoms and distress in their colleagues? And what we continue to hear over and over again and what continues to be lacking from a lot of these conversations is direct law enforcement input. But what we heard from them a lot is, do I have the ownership in a paramilitary organization to provide that type of support to a police officer when I'm the sergeant or lieutenant. Can I say, go home? So mm-hmm. there also, we have right. to think too, like what kind of flexibility can exist in such a big bureaucracy so that these supervisors can actually use these resilience building tools? You know, I wanted to ask a question about morale. As, as we have a, a, a national conversation about defunding the police, and, and that is, is used for political purposes on both sides of the aisle, what that actually means. And we also have, whether it's in our backyard here in Kenosha or in Minnesota or Minneapolis, anywhere, this, this constant sort of pitting between protesters and the police. When we do that and morale and police officers feel like nobody has their back or that people want them off of the streets, 
Is there is there a connection there to their mental health? Uh, I mean, I mean, we're talking about really base core things that human beings need, right? About acceptance and well being and and uh, feeling good enough. Is that playing yeah. out when you're talking about uh, this national conversation we're having about defunding the police? Oh, a hundred percent. And I don't know if it's the actual phrase of defunding the police that's d- decreasing their morale. But, you know, there are officers who are part of this larger system that are not the problem with the system, right? And they join this work to do good, and they're getting threats, they're getting yelled at, they're embarrassed of colleagues, they don't feel like they have the supports they need, and they don't feel like they have their back. I mean, early on, Sandy Joe said, people, these officers need to be able to make good decisions. Well, sometimes they don't know what those are, uh, right? Because they're being told this, and they're being told this, and then they're being held accountable by the media. Um, And so I I think there's a lot of purpose conflict. I think there's a lot of value conflict that's happening. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of my friends who are police officers are getting threatened and screamed at and patronized often. And what I find so interesting, and I wish we could come together on this conversation, is communities, particularly communities of color, who have had such poor experiences, such tragic experiences with the police, um, and have felt under-resourced and have felt not heard. You know, the experiences that the police are having, um, the good guys are, are very similar. It, how interesting it would be for them to share that yeah, conversation. Right. right. Sandy Joe, what you know, when we talk about police officers and, and what they see. And, and I always, when I talk to police officers in any form, uh, whether it's professional or personal, always they tell me, you know what, just come ride along in a car and you'll see what we deal with every single day. I mean, they, 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 they paint this, uh, this very realistic picture that, that is not necessarily told in the, in, in the stories that are told about policing today. Trauma has to play a role. When we talk about uh, if there's shootings or if there's, uh, any sort of, uh, horrific instances that they're involved in or that they've come upon, there is trauma and re-trauma, meaning re-traumatization. So Sandy Joe, when we talk about this idea that officers are constantly involved in trauma in one way, shape, or form, that also has effect on their mental health. Yes, you're talking really about the cumulative trauma, the constant exposure. It Mm -hmm. absolutely does have an impact on their mental health. The interesting thing that I've seen, and I worked Underneath my command was 16 psychologists when I was with LAPD. The most interesting thing that we see is officers are really pretty resilient. So like when an officer actually does seek help, very quickly they're able to get back on track and to put what give meaning to their experiences and to put them in the proper perspective and to move on and actually have what we call post-traumatic growth uh, where they become actually more resilient. The issue is because, like Alexa had said, we just don't talk about these things enough, right? We don't talk about it enough when they first come on the job and throughout their careers. A lot of officers start to feel like this, they're the only ones who feel this way, and they're weak if they let anybody know. And so the, the really sad component is we can actually use their experiences to help them build more resiliency and actually become stronger if we get the opportunity to work from them. And what we see a lot now in organizations is more critical incident debriefing. That brings officers together after a critical incident and and gives them a a safe location to talk about what happened, talk about how they feel about what happened, and then to be able to move on. So there's so many things that we can do, and I think CPD is taking a really huge step in the advancement of officer wellness. It's just it's, it's a long road to haul. Yeah. And you have to be in it. It's a marathon. It's not mm-hmm. a sprint. We have to be in this for the long haul in order to actually reconfigure 
how we look at mental health and how what importance we put on it um, as as a society. Defunding is def- whatever it means something to everybody, but we know law enforcement is not going to just go away. And so we need to really look at how can we support our officers so they can better support the community, right. so they can actually go out and do a good job and be the peacekeepers. This is what we all signed up to do, right. and and. It's important that we we focus on the long haul. Sandy Joe MacArthur, retired assistant chief for the uh, L.A. Police Department and advisor to the University of Chicago Crime Lab. Also with us, Alexa James, executive director of the National Alliance on Mental Illness here in Chicago. Alexa, Sandy Joe, thanks so much for talking today about the new initiatives uh, at the mayor's office in Chicago Police Department. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thank you for having us. And that's today's Reset. For more comprehensive coverage of what's happening in our country or city and how it affects you, you can always tune in to 91.5 FM or stream us at WBEZ.org. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening to Reset. We'll catch you right back here tomorrow. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.